This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. All right, good morning. Bless all of you. Honored to be here with you. I say this from my heart, one of the highlights of my week is just to worship God with all of you. And so, man, that was good, wasn't it? Here's a thought for you today. Many times we come in here and we think, well, I'm tired, but he's worthy of your praise. I'm wore out, but he's still worthy of your praise. I, I, I got circumstances, still worthy of your praise. And so it's important that when we come in here anytime, that we praise him from our heart and give him glory and honor. All right, well, again, I welcome you today. We've been on a series, Discovering God. If you need a Bible, we welcome you to get your hand up. We'd like to put the word in your hand. And once you've got a Bible, go with me to the book of Luke chapter 7. We'll start in Luke 7, and then we'll go to Romans 3, and ultimately we'll work our way back to Luke chapter 7. You know, in, in this series, Discovering God, you, you find out that Jesus often had encounters with people that sometimes people in our society wouldn't want anything to do with them. But through this, you find out how God views people, how God treats people, how God wants to help people. And so I believe this morning you'll begin to see that, and I'm just going to share some things from my heart here today, just some things that have really been going around on the inside of me. Go with me to the book of Luke chapter 7, we begin in verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. Now, again, we've got to clarify the Pharisee. The Pharisees were a bunch of religious leaders. Uh, they were more into observances. observances and traditions, the approval of men instead of God, okay? And so this Pharisee wants to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and he sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. She stood at Jesus' feet behind him, weeping, she began to wash his feet with her, hair, her tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now I'm going to highlight and just stop there for a minute. Uh, it's, it's very clear that this woman was moved with compassion toward Jesus. And just for a little bit here, let's, let's be a part of this story and we're there. We see this woman who it, it specifically says here was a sinner, was a great sinner. I, I believe her identity or her label within her city was that of a sinner. And, and she's so moved because of Jesus' love, because of Jesus' acceptance. Now, I don't know about what this would do for you, but if we're just sitting right there and we witness this, that, that this woman's gratitude is so strong... That she cries so much and her tears are flowing down her that it's enough to wash his feet with them. And then she begins to wash his feet with the hairs of her head and she kisses his feet. I don't know if that doesn't move you, it moves me. And so again, it's a form of her gratitude just to say, Jesus, thank you. I'm so grateful, I'm so in love with you and one of the more important things here, as I see, 
She could have cared less what anybody else thought. She wasn't there to impress anybody. She was just there because Jesus had openly received her. Keep reading. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, Jesus, if he really were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now just reading into this, it doesn't move this man at all. Actually, he was annoyed that Jesus would have anything to do with her. And so to me, it reveals the condition of this man's heart. He was a hard-hearted soul. Never forget this as Jesus' own words. If you remember the woman caught in adultery, and all of them wanted to stone her to death. And remember, as they told Jesus that she was in adultery, Jesus didn't answer him anything to start with. The Bible says he just knelt down and he began to ride in the sand. And then he stood up and he looked at him and said, You who's without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. And before long, every one of them left. See again, this man right here, he forgets Jesus came for sinners. He loves the sinner. And it's something that me and you should never forget. And if you have a problem with that, you probably ought to ask Jesus to change the way you see people. Now you begin to look at people through Jesus' eyes and through Jesus' tears, and maybe it'll help us. So you kind of get a drift of where I'm going today, that Jesus was a religion buster, okay? He was more concerned about people than he was about a bunch of rules, okay? Keep reading. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they both had nothing which he to, to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave me. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many. Now, Jesus right here didn't deny this woman was a sinner. Actually, he said, your sins or her sins are many. But he then says to her, are forgiven. He didn't say, woman, you got to get out of here. Go get your act together. Go straighten up. You know, in Matthew 9, the Lord Jesus made very clear that he said, those who are well are not in need of a physician, but those who are sick. Those who are full of sin. See, it's one thing for me to admit sin. It's another thing for me to act like I have no sin. He goes on to say here, 
are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Now, here it is again. This is probably the third time in this passage we realize she was a sinner. The city known her as a sinner. Jesus himself said, your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine what those words meant to this woman when Jesus said that? But here's the key to that. Jesus still forgives. He still forgives. And maybe some of you just today, you need to hear that. You need to hear that he'll forgive you of your sin. Just like he did with this woman whose sins were many. He goes on to say, and those who sat at the table with him begin to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now when he says your faith has saved you, what did he mean by that? Her faith in Jesus is what saved her. See, it never leaves. The way you begin as a Christian is your faith in Jesus, but it never ends. I keep trusting Jesus, and I keep living for Jesus, and and I just keep like the video showed. I keep getting on the wheel, and it's a process. Now, as we go through that passage, there's some similarities and some differences in there. A couple of the differences that were very evident is, number one, this woman owed 500 and the man owned 50. So we see this woman, she owed 10 times more than the other one. So that's some of the difference. Another difference is she loved much, he loved little. But one of the similarities, and we really got to get this today, is this. Both of them owed. Both of them owed. And Jesus was very clear that neither one of them had the abilities to repay him what they owed. So when you look at this, every one of us in this room are literally bankrupt to God. We can't repay. None of us. Now, go with me to the book of Romans, chapter 3. You can put a ribbon there. I'm going to come back to Luke 7 later on. We're going to go to Romans 3, and then we're actually going to go to the passage there of the Lord being the potter and us the clay. Romans chapter 3, and this is the Apostle Paul on some things here. And I believe just with what he has to say will we'll bring some truth to us today. It's only the truth that sets us free. Romans 3, verse 9. What then? Question mark. Are we better than they? Question mark. Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. Now, just the nugget there. Who's under sin? All. Whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, we're all under sin, okay? Keep reading. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none innocent, no, not one. Period. None of us are innocent. Verse 11. 
There's no one who understands. There's none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Now, oftentimes as humans, we begin to debate that. We begin to argue with that. And we begin to have the thought, I'm pretty good. I'm not a bad person. I'm better than this person or better than that person. But I cannot argue with the Word of God. It's very clear the Apostle Paul said, there are none righteous. None of us. I said this in the first service. There's a woman I knew years ago that if you'd ever seen the movie Mary Poppins, they referenced her to Mary Poppins because Mary Poppins was never wrong. If you got a problem with that and you have the thought, you know what, I'm never wrong, you're probably bound by pride and arrogance is what you're probably bound by, okay? I think it's very healthy for a human being to say, I'm wrong. Whether that's to Father God, whether that's to your loving, something happens. It becomes liberating to me when I'm able to say, I'm wrong. If you've got problems with that, you really need to pray, okay? Same chapter, verse 22, or verse 23. For all, how many? All have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. So what ends up happening when we see all of us have sin? What sin does is separates us from God. And if I'm not careful as a human being, I try to minimize the little bitty sins. Like, you know what, it's just a little big. Or I overrate the big ones. So how many of you, you don't show your hands, but how many of us have ever, ever uh, categorized sin? Well, that's a big sin or that's a little sin. I've done that. But again, God looks as sin as sin. And so whether it's little or big, all have sinned. He goes on to say this in verse 24, being justified. And the word justified means to be declared righteous. So what does he mean here being justified, being declared righteous? Look what he says, freely, by his grace... Through the redemption or the repurchasing that is in Christ Jesus. So when I read this right here, God is the true judge, the only judge. And the way God declares us as righteous is only because of Jesus. I don't become righteous because of my behaviors or my conduct. I'm only righteous through Jesus. How do you get born again? You receive Jesus into your life. How do I live over and over for the kingdom of God? Through Jesus Christ. When we start trying to do it out of our own abilities, that's when we start messing up. How many of you would like to be a better person, a better mom, a better dad, a better husband, a better wife, just a better human being? What would happen if we begin to say, Lord Jesus, I welcome you to work in me. I welcome you to go to work in me. Literally, this is 2 Corinthians 5.21, which says, That God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. That we may be made the righteousness in Christ Jesus or through Christ Jesus. So that verse alone tells me right there, the only way I'm righteous is in Christ Jesus. That's it. Now, turn with me way back there into the Old Testament or back to your left to the book of Isaiah chapter 64. 
Isaiah chapter 64. And this is the passage that you saw up there on the big screen as we started. And so let's dig in here because this has some incredible things to say today. Isaiah 64 verse 6. But we are all, hmm, we are all, so guess what? Everybody in this room right now, that person that's to your right, to your left, in front of you or behind you and including you, we are all like an unclean thing. The New Living Translation says this, we are all infected and impure with sin. So we are all unlike unclean things. And all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. Now, if you'll notice the word righteousness, it's plural. It's righteousnesses are like filthy rags. So what was he saying right there? Well, to help us with that word righteousness, it means our best deeds. Our best actions. Our best conduct. He didn't say your worst acts. He said your best acts are still like filthy rags or filthy garments. So let me give you some help here. What some of our righteousness would be. Well, I go to church every Sunday. That's a good thing. That's a great thing. Actually, the Bible says don't forsake the assembling together. That's important. But oftentimes we use that to declare I'm a righteous person. I'm a good person. I go to church every Sunday. Well, you know what? You can wear a Tom Brady jersey, but it didn't make you Tom Brady, okay? So going to church, that's a good thing. You know what? I pray. I pray two hours a day. I pray three hours a day sometimes on my knees. Well, that's a good thing. The Bible tells us we ought to pray. But if I'm not careful, I begin to declare those things to make myself look righteous or I'm real spiritual. Well, I read my Bible. Well, good for you. You ought to read your Bible. That's a good thing. How about this? I serve in the children's ministry. That's a great ministry. That's a great thing today. Jesus himself said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. I hear one say, well, I'm a tither. That's a good thing. And so when he talks about all these righteous deeds, he's not telling us to quit doing those things. He's not saying that those efforts aren't good things, but we got to understand this. All our righteous deeds, our righteous acts, my conduct... They don't make me righteous. Only Jesus makes me righteous. I got to stay under Jesus. I got to keep coming to the wheel again and let Jesus work on me. I got to stay under the blood. So we keep reading. We all fade as a leaf. We wither and fall just like a leaf. And all our iniquities or our sins are like the wind having taken us away. They hurry us to destruction. And there is no one who calls on your name, who stirs or pleads himself up to take hold of you. For you have hidden or turned your face from us, and you've consumed or wasted away us because of our sin. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. Now listen real close to this. We are the clay... And you are the potter. And all we are the work of your hand. A better way of putting that. He's the creator. We're the creation. So when I give my heart to Jesus. 
That's the starting point. Now, I'm not downplaying that again, okay? That's a great point. But what happens is when you see the, the, the pottery on the wheel like that, we understand that's a process. That doesn't happen overnight. And so what happens is I keep getting around the things of God. I keep living under the blood of Jesus. And I keep saying, Jesus, you work on the inside of me. You work to will and to do your good pleasure on the inside of me. Have you figured this out? Jesus changes us inside. Something on the inside starts happening right here. And there becomes a change on the outside. You change a man's heart, you'll change his behaviors. That's what the Lord wants to do with every one of us. And so when we read this right here, he is the potter, I'm the clay. I'm just clay. What happens if we begin to invite Jesus to begin to mold us and shape us? Keep working on me, Lord. I welcome that. Now go back with me to the book of Luke, chapter 7. Back to Luke, chapter 7. And what I'm going to do here is I'm going to begin to just fill in certain passages of the story we read a minute ago in Luke 7. So I'm going to bounce around in there. I'm going to start in verse 41. And there's little nuggets all through here that, that I believe the Lord wants us to get today. Verse 41. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 dinar and the other 50. Now, what's happening here is Jesus is talking right now. And when Jesus brings this up right here, he said there was two debtors. One owed 50, one owed 500. The 50 was in reference to the guy named Simon the Pharisee. The 500 was in reference to the woman who had many sins. Now, if we studied the dinar like it talks about there, uh, an average worker's yearly wage was 300 dinar. The one owed 50, the other owed 500. So you begin to see, this woman owes a lot, but I can't overlook the other one owed something too. Then he says in verse 42, And when they, they, had nothing which to repay. So Jesus tells them both right there, you can't repay it. They had nothing to repay it. When they had nothing to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? So when we look at this right here, oftentimes when I see that Jesus will freely forgive you, a religious mindset will say, no, you got to earn it. you got to do something to earn it. But the bottom line is, we can't do anything to earn it. We don't have any means by earning it. And so as we look at this, and he set the story at 50 and 500, with 50 being the best and 500 the worst, where would you rate yourself? Well, Pastor, I'm a 49. No, 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 50 was the best. I'm a 500. See, again, each one of us, we can look at our own lives a little differently. What if I ask you that if you knew someone that was close to you and say, well, what would you rate their life? Well, Pastor, I, I would rate Anthony, I'd have him about a 102. Philip would be probably 505. He's a, I'm just kidding you. 
But see, we're real easy to judge other people. When the reality is we all love. And this is one of the things that Jesus was trying to make a point to this man named Simon. He's telling Simon, I don't care how good you think you are, you still owe. And you have no means to repay. Now, let me tell you a a story that happened years ago. And many of you in here, this will date you as how old you are or how young you are. Many of you don't know that The Tonight Show started way back. I mean, that, that, that was, that's not a new show, okay? And so, The Tonight Show right now has Jimmy Fallon. You know, someday I'm going to do some thank you notes for you guys. I'm gonna, if you've ever seen that, maybe you hadn't. But anyhow, I don't know how I got off on that thought. But before Jimmy Fallon was Jay Leno. Before Jay Leno was a man named Johnny Carson. How many of you here remember Johnny Carson? <laughs> There's a few of you. How many of you have never heard of Johnny Carson? Okay. We got a pretty good mixture in here. So I go back to Johnny Carson. One night he has the Reverend Billy Graham on there. For you young ones, Billy Graham's in his 90s right now. He's still alive. A great man of God, one of the greatest evangelists of all times, won millions to Jesus. And so Billy Graham's on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, and Johnny says, Reverend Graham, have you ever broke any of the Ten Commandments? And, and, and the Reverend Billy Graham said, I've broken every one of them. There was almost a, a, a gasp of air, almost like, wait a minute. How can you be doing what you're doing if you broke every one of them? And so when he said he broke every one of the commandments, that would mean he was an adulterer, he was a liar, he was a thief, he was a murderer, he didn't honor his mother and father, he didn't uh, uh, acknowledge God as only God. And so Johnny Carson said to him, he said, wait, 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 Mr. Graham, Reverend Grant, you've broken all of them? And Billy Graham said this right here. If you've broken one of them, you've broken them all. If you're guilty of one, you're guilty of them all. That's James 2.10 is exactly what he quoted. So what am I telling you? See, oftentimes again, we have the thought, you know, I've, I've never done this wrong or I've never done that wrong or I've done just a little bit. But again, in God's eyes, a sin is a sinner. And so I can't ever get away with what he says right there. If I'm guilty of one, I'm guilty of them all. Back, going backwards, look at verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he spoke to himself. I don't know if he was muttering under his voice or just his thoughts in his mind. But he goes on and says, saying, This man, Jesus, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. By that statement alone, he's acting like he's not a sinner. But Jesus himself has clarified through the word, we're all sinners. Now, it's very easy for us at times to look at people and say, wow, that person is a great sinner. But what if we go back into history a little bit and look at people in the Bible, and sometimes we don't acknowledge them as sinners, and so a great example is that the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, before he came Paul, was Saul. And remember, he was brutal on Christians. 
And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, the Apostle Paul said this himself, I am the chief sinner. The reason I want to highlight that is because the Apostle Paul was probably, in my opinion, the greatest apostle of all because he wrote all the, or the majority of the New Testament. So again, Paul was a Jew. Paul was a Pharisee. But yet oftentimes we want to overlook that about certain people and say, well, this or this. But what about all of us being sinners? And so this is how this guy begins to try to justify. And so Jesus in verse 40, Jesus reads his mail. Jesus begins to tell him exactly what he's thinking. And he said, so Jesus answered and said, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. So what we begin to see right here is this. If I don't ever think that I've been forgiven much, it's very difficult for me to love much. The other side of that coin is this. That if I think I'm so bad compared to everybody else, then a lot of times I walk around very unworthy because I think, oh, I could never make it. But really in this passage when Jesus was writing, this wasn't a story about who's better than the other. It's actually about, or it's not the one about who's worse than the other. It's actually aimed at this guy named Simon who thought he was better than everybody else. And so two things are rooted in that. The great commandment of the all says, we're to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and all thy might, and to love my neighbor as myself. If I don't think I've been forgiven of much, then I don't love God much. But if I think I'm better than other people, then I won't love other people because I think I'm better than them. So literally what the Lord Jesus was doing here, he was correcting this man Simon's thinking and he said, wait a minute, you're way off. You're not better than anybody. So let me ask you this question. Do you think you've been forgiven much? I do. Ooh, I'm, I'm very grateful. I do know this in my life, that if it wasn't for Jesus' love and His forgiveness, I believe with all my heart that I'd either be dead already or I'd be in jail. Many of you can say the same thing. So again, I'm very grateful what Jesus has done for me. But when I, begin, I get over to the place I think I'm better than other people, that's rooted in pride and arrogance. God said all of us have sinned. God created every one of us equal. So when I begin to think in those lines, man, I need an adjustment in my heart. And so what happens within the church oftentimes is many times people won't come to church because they feel unworthy. And oftentimes when people that are good sinners come into a church, they're made to feel like you're not welcome here as if church is for good people. As if for churches, for only people who got it together. Well, the truth of the matter, none of us got it together. We all need help. And so he was literally looking at this guy saying, Simon, lighten up, buddy. You got to get some holes of some truths here. Now, I want to go back to one more passage in this one. Look at verse 39 or verse 38. And she stood at his feet behind him. Why did she stand at his feet behind him? I believe it was because of shame. It was because of guilt. 
almost to the point right here in her life where she felt like, I don't belong. I don't know that I really belong. And many times that's the same reason why people don't come to church. I don't feel like I, I, I belong. How many of you have ever felt that way? I used to feel that way. Bad. As a teenager, I felt that way. I Bad. I mean, I thought, oh my gosh, I can't get around those people. My life has so much shame and guilt. But Jesus not only accepted her, Jesus loved her. What would happen within the church if we begin to do that? What would happen if we begin to tear down the walls of religion and get over this thought about, I'm better than you? You know, my heart for this church has always been, I don't care what type of clothes you wear. You know, I used to have people say, man, my brother wants to come to this church, but he doesn't have clothes to wear. And I said, tell him to come with whatever he's got. And sometimes, you know, we look at people with what they're wearing to church, but have you ever had this thought? Maybe that's all they have to wear. Have you ever had this thought? Would Jesus tell them, get out of here for wearing flip-flops to church? I don't believe so. I don't believe Jesus would go. Now, I'm not saying come in here, you know, and look bad on purpose. That's not what I'm saying. But again... So many times the church, we've been so religious that we've pushed people away from God instead of welcoming them. Thank you for those holy amens. Turn with me to the book of John, chapter 12. You know what I'm telling you here? Jesus took every one of our shame and our guilt. And you know what Jesus' desire for you is? The same for her. He wants to not only give you eternal life, but he wants to give you the opportunity to hope and dream right now. I believe when I read this passage, this changed this woman's life forever. That Jesus said, I believe in you. I believe that you can do certain things through me. And so when I read this here, is my worth based on what other people think? Or is my worth based on what Jesus thinks? John chapter 12, verse 42. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, the religious, they did not confess him, lest they be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Woo! So as I read this, I have to ask myself this question. Where do I stand? Am I more concerned about the praise of men, what men think, or am I more concerned about the approval of God? And I tell you, that's where we got to get. I want to live for you, Lord. I want to live for you. Change the way I see people, Father God. Let me see people through your eyes and through your tears. The book of Proverbs, chapter 28, verse 13, it says this. He who hides or covers his sin will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them, I will mercy him. 
Same for every one of us. Two things I believe people discovered here today. This woman who had many sins, she discovered this day that Jesus will forgive you of whatever you did. And maybe you're here today and your life has been marked by many sins. He still takes messes and miracles. I welcome you here today. If you're a good sinner, I welcome you. That's the goal here, to see people come to know Jesus. The second thing is this religious man that day, I believe that he discovered God in a couple ways, that his heart was changed. But two things I want to point out. This happened to me about three months ago, that the Lord began to deal with me. Not just to confess my sin. That's 1 John 1, 9. He said, if, if you'll confess your sin, he's faithful and just not only to forgive you, but to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So I, I make it a practice. One of the greatest daily vitamins you can take is, is forgiveness and repentance. Just keeps your heart right. I just go before God and I say, Father God, I repent of, of sin, iniquities, and transgressions. Those are all forms of sin. But this is where the Lord began to lead me. And he said, I want you to begin to repent of being prideful or arrogant in any way. See, oftentimes we, we think of pride being all puffed up and look at me. But pride at times will say stuff like this. I'm better than them. I'm better than that person. And when I become judgmental or critical... That's rooted in pride. So the Lord began to deal with me and he said, you repent of pride. And you repent anytime you're judgmental or you become critical toward other people. You know why? Every bit of that is rooted in religion. Just like Simon said, Lord Jesus, if you knew what type of woman she was, you wouldn't have anything to do. So literally, you know what he was saying? I'm better than her. It's scary. That is dangerous for us to ever get in that. And you know what? It's becoming bigger and bigger in our society. Do you know what? I believe prejudice is rooted in pride and arrogance. I'm better than him because he's brown. Even though right now my skin may be browner than him. But when I look at Jesus, he said, I created all men equal. I'll guarantee if you were to cut me and Anthony right now, both of us would bleed red. And it's the same in every bit of this room. But see, that's the, the religious mentality. That's what's wrong with America. We don't need more money for education. I'm not against education. We're rooted and bound by pride and arrogance and better than thou. That's what I love about this church. I look here and I think, man, this represents heaven. There's black sheep, there's white sheep, there's swirl sheep. There's little sheep, there's big sheep. There's sheep with a lot of hair and there's sheep that don't have a lot of hair. But in God's eyes, we're all sheep. And every one of us in here are sinners that need to be saved. And something happens when the church begins to say, Okay, Father God, put us back on the wheel. Get me back on the wheel and keep working in me. And I just keep coming under the blood of Jesus. And I keep loving people. And you keep saying, Lord, change the way I see people. 
See, I got a flesh. I have to put this flesh in. I told this story in the first service. I was at a basketball game. My grandkids were playing yesterday. And I'm telling you, when you go to basketball games, you see America's finest. Some of the most belligerent, stupid people. And so I'm sitting there yesterday at a bunch of little fourth and fifth grade girls games. And there's a guy next to me, and he, he's whining about the everything the ref calls or doesn't call. And I'm sitting there listening like, dude, just quit, quit. They're fourth grade girls. They don't know who wins most of the time. All they want is a snow cone after the game. Who cares? And I hear him say to the ref, if you make one more call like that, I'm going to rearrange your eyesight. And so the man of faith and power that I am, I said to Shelly, this guy's brain dead. I don't know what type of stupid he is. And then right there, I sense the Lord saying, just quit, okay? Again, I become judgmental and I become critical. Just like that, just like that. So again, even in my own life, the Lord is dealing with me. And I say at times, Lord, i got to get back on the wheel. i got to get back on the wheel. Lord, you change me. You begin to help me. And so just with all the things that we talked about this morning, you may be here today and you say, I'm a great sinner. I can identify. I've been there, okay? I know what that's like. But you may be also on that other side of the coin where you have the thought Ooh, those are bad people come. Why? Why are they in church today? What are they doing here? Again, Jesus said those who are sick and are in need of a physician. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.